0: So uh, we're going to get into God's Word today. We're, we've been in a, a series in Exodus. We've reached Exodus chapter 20. Um, so if you have a Bible, please open it to Exodus chapter 20. We're in verses 1 through 2. Um, if you don't have a Bible, uh, the, the text is going to be available on the screen there. Um, now, uh, we're going to be beginning a series now as we're in Exodus in the Ten Commandments. We're, we're, we are upon it. You know, everyone has heard of that at least and um, but i hope that instead of looking at the law of god as something like very difficult or or whatever that we can get a new appreciation beginning today um, let's pray together and then we'll get going father i pray that through your word you would bring transformation and healing to us this morning that you would use your grace to guide us that you would that 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 you would remove things from our lives that are actually hurting us, that you would open our eyes to these things, and that we would look at you today and see your love, grace, and encouragement that empowers us to change. In Jesus' name, Amen. Um, so I've been in uh, I've been in Colorado now for 12 years. Um, natives can just I don't want to hear it. But after you've lived here for a while, some of you guys are still quite new, maybe, maybe on the cusp of your first winter, the, the thing is you kind of get a little prideful about your ability to deal with snow, whether that's shoveling or driving in it, that sort of thing. You develop what I like to call snow-how. <laughs> Yeah, there's like six more dad jokes in this sermon. You're gonna have to just take them. Um, but snowhow, you know what it is, right? Like especially when your sea level friends, maybe from the south, visit and they're they're like freaking out about the snow. You're like, never fear, da 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 da. Mr. Snowhow is here. I'm gonna take care of you. There was just one of these instances a few years ago. My wife's family's from from Tennessee. They were out visiting us, and this was quite a while ago at this point. But my niece, uh, who's from, you know, that never snows in Nashville, uh, wanted to go sledding. Now, this was a time of year when at Denver level there was, there was no snow. And so we said, all right, well, let, let's go up to a Mountain Pass where we know there's reliably snow and you can kind of sled. And so we get up there, and it's very snowy. And getting to this little area where kids could sled, first of all, the wind was like rip-roaring. And the, the snow was like that soft snow, like up to your mid-calf. And, and you know, the, our kids were real little at the time, so they're like, carry me. And so I'm like carrying two kids. I've got a sled slung over my shoulder. All the parents were doing this. And not to mention, we had people from sea level who were like uh, suddenly up at 8,000 feet. Like, just, like every few feet. <laughs> okay, I need a rest. Like it took forever just to get to the stupid place they could sled and they had fun, but I could tell the fun was starting to wear off. And I said to myself, you know, the, this little road leads up to the sledding area, but it was pretty buried, but I had snow how. And I also had a four-wheel drive SUV with snow tires. And so I said, I'm going to go, I'm going while no one's looking, I'm going to go get it. I'm going to come back, I'm going to pull right up. And so all these people who are dreading the trek back are going to look at me with, and like I'm going to have a halo of glory and I'm going to get a cool nickname like the Highlander. You know? And forever after, the family would call me the Highlander because, you know, everyone else was falling apart. And I, I saved a day. So I thought this was going to be a good plan. And I, 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 head, I head for this, this little, this pretty small road and you know I know I, I had to pick up some momentum because it was it was a bit uphill, and I immediately got stuck in the snowdrift on the right side of the road <laughs> didn't have a snow shovel with me <sighs> desperately dug out hoping no one was watching and then I when I was I was dug out enough I I, I pull out of the snowdrift and like I, I, I hit it going up the road and I immediately go on the ditch on the other side of the road <laughs> because I just didn't have traction and so I'm like, okay, this is no problem. Reverse, 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 rocking forward, back. And I, I get out of the ditch and I go right back in the snowdrift. And then back to the ditch. And that I, I actually never drove on the road. I ended up just backing up and going back and shamefacedly like just trudging back. I never got that cool nickname. But you know. The path of discipleship, the path of walking in where God actually calls us to walk is like that. There's a road, and there's a mistake on either side. There's a snowdrift, and there's a ditch. And really, the whole trick of walking as a Christian disciple is staying on the road. Uh, maybe no better example than the question of, like, obedience versus grace. Now, I didn't grow up in a Christian home, and when I, when I first became a Christian, I was getting a lot of, my, my kind of absorbed understanding was I needed to be very, very good. And if I wasn't very, very good, God wasn't going to be very happy with me. That, I, that, that life is essentially an audition for the afterlife, you know, and I'm, I'm proving I'm worthy. Okay, Now, that teaching, that might be familiar to a lot of you. Right, and you're stressed right now because you're like, "Oh yeah, I was afraid you were going to bring this up," but that's called legalism. That's actually contrary to what the Bible teaches. That's like the snowdrift. It's like, okay, obedience, boom. Right, and it's all up to you to earn it and prove it to God, not what the Bible teaches, not Christianity. Even though there's a lot of churches that teach exactly, just driving the snowdrift. Okay. So then I started to hear the gospel. I started to hear things like, like the apostle Paul saying, no one is justified by works of the law, right? In many, many places in the Bible that show you demonstrably, you can't earn it. You have no hope of earning it. It's not what you've done. It's what God has done. Okay, we're out of that snow drift, right? And we're going to be on the road. And then I started to get teaching like, and don't worry about what God says in terms of commands or obedience, really all those things are there for is to make you realize you can't do it, so you turn to Jesus more. Anyone ever heard that before? In fact, there was one book that was really, really popular uh, for a while that, that literally had a, had a chapter saying, ignore God's law. Like, don't bother with it. Just believe the gospel. Don't try to walk in faithfulness. And in fact, you know, kind of tear three-fourths of the Bible off. That that would be news to Jesus, wouldn't it? Jesus who said in Matthew 5, I have not come to abolish the law and the prophets. He goes on to say, in fact, anyone who teaches anyone else to ignore the least commandment is going to be called the least in the kingdom of God. Or the Apostle Paul who says, what are we going to sin so that grace abounds? Right? So there's this snowdrift of legalism on one side. That's one mistake. I, I earn it. That's nowhere, man. That's not it. And then we can overcorrect and go right across the road and into the ditch of license where we say, ignore what God says. Don't worry about your behavior. You could basically live like Tony Soprano if you want to. You know, just whack people, be racist, cheat on your wife. And God's good with that. (laughs) Which is it? Like, how do we stay on the path? How do we avoid... The snowdrift of legalism on one side and the ditch of license or cheap grace on the other. Like, is it that we need a little of both? Right? Like it's grace, but not totally. <laughs> like it's grace, but you also have to earn it? Is it is it a little obedience and a little grace? Is that it? I see where he looks on your faces. Here's the thing. When we look at Exodus chapter 20, it actually sets the pattern. It answers the question, is it grace or is it obedience? It's not that it's grace or obedience or a little of both. It's that grace empowers obedience. Grace empowers obedience. Think of like a bow and an arrow, which is more important? One works with the other, doesn't it? One empowers the other. When we look at the text, right, remember, we're about to read the Ten Commandments. Look how it starts in verse 1. It says, And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. So before God gets to the commanding, what does he say? He tells him who he is and what he's done for them. That's his grace, isn't it? So grounded in grace is obedience, right? The next thing he says, you shall have no other gods before me. Is that making sense? Grace empowers obedience. It's not an either or or a little of both. They work together. That the more we dig into God's grace, the more that God ha- the, the more we rely on God's grace, the more we transform And obey God. Now you may be saying to yourself, but Exodus 20 was written to people who were enslaved in Egypt. I am not an Israelite, nor was I ever enslaved in Egypt. You are correct about that. I don't know all your stories, by the way. Maybe some of you were enslaved in Egypt. But anyway. Now the central redemptive event of the Old Testament was the Exodus. God didn't stop redeeming. We have an even greater redemption in Jesus. We aren't just saved from, from bondage in Egypt. We're saved from hell. We are saved from death. We are saved from sin by Jesus. We have a far greater redemption than even they had. How much more so should that grace empower our obedience? And you say, well, how? how? I, I, don't, I don't see how God forgiving our sin, how God saving us unconditionally actually encourage us to, to obey him. Well, first of all, grace grounds obedience in relationship. Let's get real microscopic on these verses, okay? Verse 1 says, and God spoke all these words. Now, that could mean that he spoke it through Moses the prophet. But actually, if we, if we keep on reading in Exodus 20, we find out that God has been speaking from his presence on, on the top of Mount Sinai... And it's such a terrifying experience that the people actually say, We'll do all that. Moses, can you tell them to stop talking? It's too scary. All right? So you have to imagine these words uttered from this manifestation of God's presence that is something like a volcanic eruption happening during an earthquake and a thunderstorm. All right? So that, that's the context. That's what's happening. And he says, th- th- these words did not come through Moses. Remember, these are spoken directly by God's presence. He says, I am the Lord, your God. Now, you see on that, that's a big old capital, L. O. all caps, L-O-R-D, right? Some of you guys have heard this. A lot of you guys don't know this. But what your English Bible is doing there with the all caps is letting you know that it's not the Hebrew word for Lord behind this word. That's Adonai. It's instead the Hebrew word for the name of God, Yahweh, his personal covenant name. So you could read it and should read it, I am Yahweh. How does God begin this, the Ten Commandments? It's with showing them who he is. It's the beginning of a covenant relationship. He's marrying this people. He's making them his children. And he says, I am Yahweh, what? Your God. Not totally blowing our socks off to hear that yore, I realize. Let's put it in context. Where did these folks grow up? Egypt. What were they? Enslaved. Okay? Now, the the pantheon of Egyptian gods, not too many of them would have been super excited about having a slave people as their people. Right? Like, the, the top gods got the top people, the priests and the nobles and the the, uh, the 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 uh, pharaoh and that sort of thing, but what does the one true God say? I am your God. That this entire law that comes in Exodus chapters 20, 20 through twenty five, or, or twenty three, I should say, is grounded in this relationship. Now, what difference does that make? Obedience being grounded in relationship. Well. I, uh, I used to smoke cigarettes. And uh, in my 20s, I was, I was morose and I read Russian novels and smoked cigarettes. It was a good time. <laughs> and those of you who, who do smoke or have smoked, I'm not going to name any, I'm not, not looking in any direction. I don't know who smokes. Don't care. But people will walk by you and let you know it's not okay. That sort of thing. <laughs> Smoking. Some people would even come up to me and say, "You know, that's really bad for you." It's like, oh, yeah, I know. You know, <laughs> like people I didn't know, just complete strangers. That's gross. Probably. <laughs> now, were they? Were they, Is it true? Yeah, it's a. It's it's bad for you. It's gross. It smells. All those things are true. Did their little. Judgment grenades change my heart. Did I stop? Did I want to stop? Not one bit. But then I met Sharon. And as we were moving towards getting married, she said, Hey, I would really like you to stop smoking cigarettes because you know I want you to live. (laughs) And so I did. Quit the night we got married. Haven't smoked since. Right, you see the difference of that, that stopped smoking compared to the other stop smokings. Those other stop smokings were not grounded in relationship. They didn't know me. They didn't love me. She did. So when God is giving us commands, when we open and read the Bible and we see commands, they're not coming as hand grenades from a judge. They're coming as instruction on how to live life best from a father. Let me, be, let me make this clear. We are saved by what Christ has done for us, period, end of story. It is not your works. We don't obey God so that he saves us. We obey God because he has saved us. We don't obey God to make God love us. We obey God because he has loved us. Do you see the difference there? Grace grounds obedience in relationship. And you're like, well, but why is there rules in a relationship? Every relationship has rules. Your relationship you're with your barista has rules. You know, your, your relationship with the people that you play online video games with has rules. Okay? Like, think about this. Every relationship, if you are a parent of a child, there are obligations on you as part of that relationship and for them too. As uh, if you're romantically involved with someone, there are rules for that relationship. If there's a friendship, Right? Oh, friendship. Yeah, you're going to treat me with respect. You're not going to betray me. You're not going to not going to stand me up, right? There's rules that come with these relationships. So it is with God. It doesn't those aren't the conditions that that like make God love us. It's we're in relationship with God and so that's where obedience flows from. Okay? In fact, if if God were just like do whatever the heck you want, like, if, you, if there's a parent who tells their kid, yeah, do whatever you want. Don't go to school, go to school, whatever. You want to eat that, you want to hit the liquor cabinet, get in the car with those shady dudes. Yeah, cool, right? What kind of parent is that? A terrible parent. <laughs> there was an Onion article that said, that said cool dad, actually horrible parent. <laughs> they nailed it. So grace it grounds obedience in relationship, and you may say, well that's good, that's good. It take, takes the that that actually like makes some sense, but I try to obey God, and i don 't do so hot at it, right like like i don't make it past nine thirty before I really blow it, and that 's when I get up at eight forty five okay now here's the thing: grace not only grounds obedience in relationship, but it enables obedience. It enables obedience. How so? Well, usually I preach from one text, but we're actually going to range a little bit throughout the Bible. Look with me at 2 Corinthians 3.18. It's there, right? I put it in. Totally did. There we go. It says, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another for this comes from the Lord who is the spirit so how does God's grace enable obedience well the Holy Spirit when we are connected in covenant with God there's a new presence in our life that exerts influence a transforming renewing influence over us the Holy Spirit now a lot of time like you know, we think, oh, well, the Holy Spirit, that's when you, like, fall on the ground or whatever. That maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit could make people fall on the ground. But you know what the Holy Spirit always does? Makes you holy. Right? That's the true mark of a revival, a spirit-filled revival, is if people repent. It is, after all, the Holy Spirit, Right? And it's not that God is saying, hey, go clean yourself up. You're given help by God's presence in your life. And and you see what the Holy Spirit does. It's even more explicit in Colossians 3.10. It says, you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its Creator." You notice those divine passives, it's being, re- divine passives I should say, it's being renewed. Who's doing the renewing? God is, right? God's grace is transformative to us. The presence of the Holy Spirit, God's hand in our life is actually transforming us. It's kind of like, um, if you, if it, let's say you haven't eaten for two weeks, right? Like, like no calories. Does that mean you're dead? Doctors, are you dead if you don't eat for two weeks? Can you survive? It's three weeks, Emily? Okay, good to know. Two weeks, you're not feeling well, though. Yeah? Okay. So you haven't eaten for two weeks. Totally calorie deficient, right? Organs are eating themselves. That doesn't happen, but I'm making things up. It's not important. Unless you're stranded somewhere and don't have food. (laughs) My organs are eating themselves. Matt said so. Anyway. I say to you, in that state, totally calorie deficient, get up, run a mile. Can you do it? No, right? It's not happening. Like some of you right now are like, I, yeah, I'm, I, I ate this morning I'm not running. <laughs> but if you absolutely had to, right, like at least walk a mile, right? if you have the food, if you are nourished, you can do that. It empowers you. Does that make sense? In the same way, that that's how God's grace works as well. If we are totally like ignoring the means of grace, if we are totally disengaged from God, we're like, why can't I obey God? I'm falling apart morally. I'm struggling even more with this. Well, God gave us, like I said earlier, He gave us grace that enables us. He gave us the means of grace. He gave us His Word, right? Listening to a sermon, reading the scripture, discussing the scripture, or what have you. That, that's, there's a reason. There's a reason we have so much emphasis on the Bible at this church. It's because it's one of the means of grace. It's not just information, right? But that, that when, when the Holy Spirit applies God's word to us, it's transformation. Well, one of the best things I learned in seminary, a sermon... Is not an informational event, it's a transformational event. So even if you're hating this sermon, as long as it is from the, the, the Bible and the Holy Spirit is using you, you stand up changed. God is working in us through it. But also, sacrament, the Lord's table that we're going to take later. Baptism, right? Uh, church fellowship, service to one another. These are all these are all ways that God fuels us up with grace so that we have the power to obey. So like, you know, uh, if, you're, if you're like, oh, I'm aware that this person over here in my church, they're not living such a godly life. What do you do about it, right? Maybe it's time to have, could have a conversation and exhort someone, sure. But like hitting someone with a guilt hammer, that is not the road of change. That is not how God does it. Instead, it's through the renewal of the Holy Spirit. It's by God's grace. that actually enables obedience. But, you know, the thing is, is no matter, no matter on this side of heaven, we're never going to obey God totally, okay? Like, the holiest person outside of Jesus who's ever walked the earth, I don't know who that would be, like, that person is still a sinner. That person still needs God's grace. We never stop needing God's grace, right? Grace not only grounds obedience in relationship, and it enables it, but it also encourages obedience. It encourages obedience. Romans 8:38 through 39 says this. It says, "For I am sure." does that sound like a maybe from Paul? No, he says, "I'm sure." That neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers. What about heights, Paul? Nor heights, nor depths, nor anything else in all creation. Does this sound like he's trying to just say everything? Yeah? Right? Do you think he means only these things? Is there anything that you can say? that Paul's going to be like, oh, yeah, I didn't mean that. What? Nothing else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. So he didn't mean that your failure can't, right? Because clearly your failure can blow everything, right? Right? Wouldn't No, no. Everything else in all creation, including your failure. It cannot separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. That means that God holds you, right? That, that your salvation is not through your works, but through what God has done. He keeps salvation in heaven because if it was in our hands, we would for sure blow it, right? How does that encourage obedience? Knowing that I cannot outsin God's grace. Now, does that mean you should try? Of course not. How does it actually encourage us to obey, to go the other direction? um, There's a coach, an NBA coach, he's not coaching right now, his name's Mike D'Antoni. NBA fans, can I get a little something something for Mike D'Antoni? All right. Mike D'Antoni, so so before Mike D'Antoni, you had games where the winning score was like 80 points. All right, and now, like, if you're wa- you've been watching, it's like 145 points. There's been a, a total revolution in, in offense, right? People are, are shooting higher percentages, players are at, like, just there's a lot, lot more scoring. That's largely due to, to Mike Dantoni. And here was his philosophy with his team don't worry about it, put up shots, don't stress if you think it's a bad shot, put it up, right? He wanted his players to be aggressive in taking whatever shots they could and and it actually comes from his own story see he um, back when he was in college he was one of the top guards that's a basketball player who shoots from distance right just so just want to make sure we're you know together right we all understand those words and, uh, and he was one of the top scoring guards. He was a, a, a top prospect in the country. But then he got a new coach his junior year. And this coach, if he missed a shot, this coach would let him have it. What'd you take that shot for? You know, that sort of thing. I don't know any of you guys have ever played, like, pickup basketball, like, just, or real basketball. Like, you know, like, when you miss a shot and someone's like, dude, you're supposed to hit that. Does that help? You're like, oh, thanks so much for sharing that secret game-winning strategy with me. I had no idea. I thought I was supposed to hit it off the backboard and, like, go out of bounds, okay? That sort of thing. The coach would just upbraid him for missing a shot, every shot that he missed. And so he started trying to be perfect, and, and he, would, he would say, okay, well, I'm going to pass up this shot because maybe there could be a better shot. By the time he was a senior, he was attempting one or two shots per game which isn't much right? and he failed in the NBA because right, he didn't have an offensive game and so he went over to Italy and his coach in Italy sat him down the first day and he said look Mike you're my point guard period I don't care if you're stinking up the joint having an off night you're staying in the game. He says in fact I saw, I saw that your shot attempts declined in, in college Trying to be too perfect. I want you to attempt at least 12 shots a game. Let me be clear. If you go two for 18, that's not a good percentage, by the way. I'm fine. We're good. If you go 10 for 11, we have a problem. You know why? You didn't try 12 shots. Okay? And so under that When he takes the consequences away, and he says, no matter what, you're in there. I want you to take them. I want you to miss them. All of a sudden, his offensive game skyrockets. He flourished. He he won multiple championships over there. He was league MVP. And then he brought that philosophy to the NBA where it completely transformed how the game is played. Right? Like, Like instead of hammering people for missing shots and saying, you shouldn't have taken that shot. You missed it. Saying, just put it up. Don't worry about it. And all of a sudden, the percentage, you guys getting that? Grace actually encourages obedience. Tell me if this is familiar. You are trying to obey God, maybe in a certain area of your life where you've had a lot of problems. A lot of difficulty obeying God. And maybe you put together, you know, a few months where you're walking pretty faithfully. And then you blow it what happens well if you're anything like me you you get out a heavy stick and start beating yourself with it spiritually speaking not not in reality and you say how could i how could i do that look i've been a christian for 30 years i'm still struggling with this same old stupid thing how could god look at me and say you know i love you my son right how could i look at myself in the mirror when i'm still struggling with this And you start tailspinning, right? And instead instead of getting back up, instead of saying, okay, I'm forgiven, I walk again, you 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 can tailspin and say, what's even the point, right? Like those heavy consequences don't help you to obey. They don't help you to walk in faithfulness, do they? Instead, grace encourages obedience to say, yeah, you know what? I just, I just blew it in a big way. I, was, I completely judged that person. I did not look at them with the eyes of Jesus. I acted fully out of greed in this situation, right? I, I lost my temper on someone and, and I just, I walked unfaithfully. Whatever it is, it's to say, even in that moment, the moment that you fail to say, God still delights in me, I am still saved, right? I don't need to go to the doghouse for a while before I come and engage with Jesus again. I don't have to avoid church and God's people. I don't have to avoid the table, right, just because I sinned. Grace encourages obedience. So instead of grace and obedience being in conflict with one another, grace actually empowers obedience. It grounds it in relationship it enables it, and it encourages obedience. It's kind of like um, I used to, uh, Sharon and I used to work uh, at a group home. That was, that was one of my, my uh, jobs after doing music before being a pastor. And it was a group home for at-risk youth. And it was through the YMCA, so we had like a free YMCA membership. Summertime in Middle Tennessee, you, you go to the pool is what you did. You went to the Y and you swam, Right? Um, and there was one kid, John, who I noticed the other kids would like go to the deep end and swim around and stuff like that. And he would just kind of hang out at the shallow end. He was 13, two ten. <laughs> and I went up to him, I was like, hey, John, uh, I noticed you're not like going to the deep end with the other guys. Uh, do you know how to swim? He was like, no, no one ever taught me, right? And so I said, young man. Like to swim? He said yes. I said, "Well, I make a promise to you. I used to be on swim team, so I know what I'm doing, kind of." I said, "Before this summer is over, you will swim to the deep end, alone and by yourself." He's like, "I don't, I don't think I could do that." I was like, "It's okay. I'll, I'll train you. Like, we'll get there bit by bit." And so we start training, right? Like, we're, I'm having him practice strokes just in the shallow end, and he's going at it like for real, and. And so, so, you know, we, we're kind of getting towards where he has to try because he could do it well enough. He's like, but I'm afraid to go where I can't touch, right? That, that was the thing that was really holding him back. I said, well, well, listen, you know, I used to, like, be on swim team and whatnot. I'm going to go with you. And when we hit the deep end, I am literally going to swim under you. I'm going to swim at the bottom of the pool and look up at you, okay? You're going to see me down there giving you the thumbs up. And, and if I see you're in trouble, I'm going to save you. I had no idea how I was going to do that. It a total <laughs> lie. I had no plan. You know, 210. 10 like, what am I going to do? But he didn't know that. And so the day comes, right? It was, it was seriously like Rocky's final fight or something. And so he gets in and he starts going and I'm just kind of walking next to him. And then we, we hit where we can no longer touch and so... I I go, I go, I swim under him, and I'm like, you know, looking up at him, and he's looking down at me. I could see he's starting to get really nervous, but it was enough for him to get all the way to the other end, and when that boy touched the other end, you would have thought he had swum the English channel. He was like (laughs) like, he was smiling from ear to ear, and he could swim just fine after that. Forgive me. putting myself in the place of God's grace in that (laughs) illustration but that's the idea right that God's grace that grace actually empowers our obedience our ability to walk faithfully God doesn't just command us to obey he empowers us by his grace our job is to avoid that drift of, of legalism and the ditch of license of saying let's forget God's commands and instead to walk in obedience to God by his grace. Please pray with me. God, you are gracious to us. You forgive us. You love us. You pursue after us. God, I I pray just through the, the humble things that we have on hand, these means of grace that you've given us, your word, worship, prayer, fellowship, the sacrament, that you would be with your people and that you would transform us into a people who want to do what you say is good, that you would change our desires through your grace and through your Holy Spirit, that we could walk in faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.